Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 20 of a series of episodes that we're calling Leading Others to Christ. During these episodes, those of you who've been watching, you know how we're doing this, we'll be focused on evangelism. One of our goals, and we have several goals, but one of our goals is to stir us up to love and good works, but especially in the area of uh, reaching our family or friends or neighbors with the gospel of Christ. My name is Dan Barker. I preach for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana. For those of you that don't know, Franklin's about 20 miles south of downtown Indianapolis. So that gives you a little perspective of where we are. Those of you that know me know that, that I'm passionate about evangelism. And I have been ever since I obeyed the gospel when I was 21 years old in Owensboro, Kentucky. And ever since I learned the truth, I've been try, striving to, to teach others. I'm going to use some Bible phrases here. Striving to teach others, to sow the seed, uh, to, to learn how to be a fisher for men and women, of course, to make disciples, to persuade men and women, and to teach others to teach. And uh, I've been doing this every episode, and I think I'll probably continue to do it, but remembering what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, when he said, in the things you've heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, of course, and women, who will be able to teach others also, and to be useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Paul said that in another place. So I came up with this idea to identify Christians, men and women, uh, fellow workers who are out there that are doing this, that are reaching and leading others to Christ, and once we've identified them, to interview them. And what we want to do is learn more about them, who they are, where they are, why they're so motivated and, and, and to be involved in the work of evangelism, how they're doing their work, and where they're currently working. So we are so excited today to have with us somebody that you're going to learn a lot from. And I encourage you to get out your paper and pen and, uh, and to be able to take some notes. But um, our special guest today is Bob Owen. Uh, Bob is, uh, is currently an elder at the University Church of Christ in Tampa, Florida. And uh, Bob Owen, welcome, my friend. Well, thank you, Dan. Good to be with you. Well, it's special. We really appreciate, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And I, I've been, ever since we started this, I've been thinking about you. And uh, there, there's just so many things that you've done in your life and so many directions this interview could go. But one thing I was thinking about, I know we're both older guys now when we first met, but I was trying to I was trying to think when we first met. I think it was in '68 or '69 when I came to FC when I came to Florida College and interviewed for the the uh, head basketball coaching position. You remember that? Yeah, but I met you in Lafayette. Oh, that's right. Good look at you in Lafayette. I was there, I was there in meetings and and so on, and you were in school. You were doing that's your math. Yes. And I'm the guy that got you interested in coming to Florida and being our basketball coach. Now, see, look at that. That's that's great that you remember that. Yeah, I got my I was I was the uh, back then I was a head freshman coach assistant uh, on the varsity because that's when the division one, the freshman uh, couldn't play, uh, you know, uh, it's freshman. Right. And then, yes, and getting my master's. And uh, yeah, that was uh well, I'm glad you came to. I'm glad you came through there. I'm glad we met. Well, but, uh, I am too. You you did us well at Florida College. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. You know, uh, there's just so many things I know that, that you've done. I mean, there's so many things that you've done that I don't know about, but uh, your background, and I'm going to ask you to do a little quick bio here in a minute, but uh, your, you know, the, your, pe your preaching background, your teaching background, being in administration at Florida College, gospel meetings that you've done all over the country, all over the world, uh, overseas. So why, there's just so much. But why don't you start us out, Bob, and give us a little bow. Where were you born? And, and, and kind of bring us up to date here. Well, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. My mother and dad were both Christians. And they had both been farm people. And then they had moved to to the edge of town in Memphis. And my dad worked in construction and he was a very faithful Christian and a good song leader. And my mother was the typical good homemaker. She stayed home, did the cooking and the cleaning and kept all of us going and raised two boys. And both of us ended up doing part-time preaching. As a matter of fact, I may not fit too well into this series that you've got because I've never been a full-time preacher out there in the field, going door to door and doing that kind of thing. That's not where my role has been. Yes. And my brother was a salesman. He ended up as the national sales manager for Hunter Fan, if you remember the big ceiling fans that were all sure. that. Yes. And during his lifetime, he was the first preacher in six congregations in Memphis, Tennessee. Wow. And in each case, he went there as a startup. They built buildings and totally paid the buildings off before he moved on to, a, to another place. And the first three buildings they built, each seated 500. The others were like 300 and 400. And all the time he was working full time uh, in business and traveling extensively. He'd be on the road much of the week and still got that done. And those churches grew. I grew up in Memphis and went to Freed Hardeman College for two years. While I was there, I fell in love with one of the teachers, Jim Cope. And in my second year at Freed uh, Hardeman, Jim was hired to move to Tampa <coughs> and become president of Florida Christian College. It was in Florida College now. Right. And a number of us came to, to Florida and went to school for a year in Florida uh, because of Jim Cope. I met my wife-to-be while I was here. And after one year at Florida, we, we moved to Abilene, Texas, and uh, both of us graduated at Abilene. When I graduated at Abilene, they hired me to come back to Florida and teach speech. I had been active in uh, debate and some other things like that, both here and at Abilene. And I came back as a speech teacher. And after about uh, the second year, I was teaching speech and a Bible class. 
And on about the third year, I became a part of the administration. I became dean of students. But while I was there, I became the preacher on a part-time basis for the church in Clearwater, Florida. That's about 30 miles away over on the west coast of Florida. And their preacher had moved on, and they felt they weren't in a position to bring man full-time then, so they got a part-time preacher. I've often heard people referred to as a part-time man. I hope I was not a part-time man. I hope I was a part-time <laughs> preacher and not a part-time man. Oh, man. But I went to Clearwater, and I was teaching and working as the dean of students at Florida College full-time and preaching both sermons on Sunday, Bible class on Sunday, Bible class on Wednesday night, and we began to contact a number of other people and the church began to grow and it was not growing because i was doing the good things that could be done and that is out on the doorsteps and knocking on doors and handing out invitations but people would bring people and i would try to follow up with them and very often i would be in my office here at the college all week all day and then at night i'd be over in clearwater in somebody's home sitting at their table talking to them about the gospel yes and let me mention two factors that i think were meaningful in that situation and in another one that i'm going to tell you about okay one is uh you've got to be interested in people You've got to have a burning in your heart that you want to share the gospel with other people. And that was in my heart. And uh, when somebody would bring somebody to services and I'd meet them, I'd do everything I could to follow up with them, get in their home and study with them. And I think it made an impression on them. They knew I was working full time during the day but that I would come over at night and spend time. So they knew I was serious about the gospel yes. and they knew I cared about them. Well, to cut a long story down to short, I preached there for seven years. Toward the end of that, we built a new building, a building that seated 500. And when I left there, our regular attendance on Sunday morning was over 400. We had 250 plus in Bible classes wow. and about 400 in the worship service. And we had baptized a number of people and the church had grown. And I made one of the biggest mistakes that I've ever made because there were two or three in the congregation that I dearly loved and respected who felt that, okay, we've grown like this, but now what we could do if we had a full-time preacher. And I listened to that and they weren't making any move to, to, to change, but I decided, okay, I'll move on and do something else and let them get a full-time preacher. So I made 
arrangements to preach for another church here in Tampa and uh, announced that I was going to leave. They had a big business meeting and begged me to change my mind and stay, but I didn't do it and I should have. They got another man in and unfortunately he did mostly negative preaching. I heard some of his sermons and heard about him a lot and he was warning the brethren about departures and that needs to be done. That has to be done. I did it. Sure. But you can't be all negative. And the result was that church went down. They ended up again with a part-time preacher. And sadly, they've gone down to the point that they finally disbanded. Wow. And that was a congregation of 400 plus when I left there. Later, I was still working at the college, still in administration. I became business manager. And here was a full-time job. I was teaching classes all every day and running an office. And I started preaching for a church in Largo, Florida, which is just south of Clearwater. And they had about, oh, 85 to 100 people attending on, on Sundays. And they'd gotten down to the point that they couldn't support a man on a full-time basis. So here I was again as a part-time preacher. I spent 18 years with that church, during which time we grew. We built a bought property and built a nice building. And when I left there, and I left because I became president at the college and felt that I needed to be traveling a good, good bit in that. And when I left, we were having regular attendance of about 175, sometimes 200. And we had baptized a lot of people in Largo, just like we had in Clearwater. And it was in the same process because I would meet somebody, usually at services. I didn't go out on the streets and find them. I'm not taking credit for that. That wasn't my opportunity and it wasn't my role. But when someone would come, I'd follow up with them as best I could. And that's the way the church there began to grow. I hate to tell you this, but it had the same experience that the first one did. The preacher they got in was warning the brethren about departures and spent all of his time on negativism. And the church went down. And unfortunately, that same thing has happened and they have disbanded. I don't like that at all. It tugs at my heart heavily, but that's what happened. While I was president of the college, I traveled a great deal, held a gospel meetings in lots of places, and worked with the church here at University in Tampa, good congregation. And it has been an active church. Steve Patton is the preacher there, or had been. He's still one of the preachers, and we have now Josh, Josh Creel preaching with us also. And later on, I became one of the elders in the church there. But in 1999, I hit a crossroads in my life. One of my dearest friends was Harry Pickup Jr. Yes. And a very close friend and colleague on the college campus was Melvin Curry. Yes. And a good friend of mine that had preached 
in Fairlawn, New Jersey, and was now preaching Colorado with Jim Finney, James Finney. They came to me and told me that they were going to Ethiopia and wanted me to go with them, and I turned them down. I had never felt that I had to go overseas to get a merit badge and to be a real preacher. <laughs> but uh, they bought their tickets and they were packing their bags when I decided, all right, I'll go with you. So I paid double for my ticket because it, it had to leave in six days. <laughs> and I went to Ethiopia with Harry and Melvin and James, a lady named Dartha Starr. She and her husband had been college professors. And when they retired, they wanted to work for the Lord. And they saw an opportunity to go to Ethiopia as consultants in education. So they went. They met the brethren there. There were many churches in the countryside, but there was only one congregation in the capital city, Addis Ababa. And it was tied to the institutional brethren. And when they found out that Faye and Dartha didn't support the orphan homes and didn't support their college or their uh, schools that they were operating, they literally would not let them on the property for, even for worship. Wow. And a little bit later, a few members in that congregation became dissatisfied. I think it was over the use of the money, not over doctrine. And they started another congregation at Bole. That's a section of the town near the airport. And although they did the same things, they had their churches in the countryside that were under their umbrella. And they had a school that they operated and they were tied to institutional churches in California. And they were really warm to, the, uh, to Faye and, and, and Dartha. Faye later died. Dartha continued her interest in Ethiopia. And she's the one that encouraged us to go there. She made the arrangements and Bole welcomed us to come and teach classes. So we went in the spring of 1999, and it was a life-changing event for me. The second day we were there, Harry and I were sitting in our tiny little hotel room. We had twin beds and they were pushed against the wall and they were so close together that as we sat each of us on our own bed, our knees were locking between the beds. <laughs> and we sat there and we decided it's wonderful that we came, but there's no point in coming back. We decided it's too far away. The language is too much of a problem. They're too embroiled in the denominational world. And we're too old. <laughs> a couple of days later, two different men, separately, not knowing the other was doing, talked to me personally and literally with tears running down their faces, begged us to come back. Wow. They said, nobody before has ever come and taught us classes. 
no one has ever shared the gospel with us like you're doing. The only thing they knew was one true church, baptism, weekly communion, and uh, no instrumental music and no miracles. And with that, they could confront the institutional, the uh, denomination churches, get people in the church of Christ. And that was their goal, just get them in the church of Christ. When they began to hear teaching from the scripture, they begged us to come back. Well, I'll, I'll cut this a little shorter. I made 18 trips to Ethiopia. Wow. And stopped going only because my wife's physical condition was such that I couldn't leave her. Yeah. I had been taking Steve Patton, our preacher, and our son, Scott Owen, who is a preacher, alternate years, and each of them had been with me eight times. And when I couldn't go back, they go together. And that was the game plan. When I couldn't go, they would. Other Americans go there to Ethiopia. And the work has grown dramatically. As a matter of fact, when we went, the Bole congregation had 52 congregations in the countryside that were under their mission umbrella. Okay. We went and we decided we're not going to go here and fight the schools and the denominational approach. We're just going to teach the scripture and let the word of God do the battle. The result was remarkable. 45 of those 52 congregations left the mission arrangement and are independent churches. Wow. We went back and we would go and I'm not too good to walk the streets and hand out Bibles, but we didn't do that. We went back and we had classes with the preachers and taught them and let them do the work in Ethiopia. Today, I'm happy to report the independent congregations, there are 342 churches. Wow. They, they count over 15,500 Christians in those churches. Many of the churches are from 25 to 75 or 100, but a number of them are 200 to 350, and a few of them are four and 500, and the gospel has continued to grow there dramatically. So what little work I've done has been primarily in an opportunity to teach somebody personally, like I did in Clearwater and Largo, and like I have done here in Tampa on, on some occasions. And the work in Ethiopia has just taken my life. Wow. I'm still active in support for a number of the preachers there. And I handle uh, funds for a number of brethren and churches that, that are supporting people there. So I keep a close contact with them. And my heart is there with that work. Well, that's more than you needed to know about an old man. <laughs> well, I tell you what, thank you for sharing all that. And uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. I want to do a follow-up with you sometime. There's more to talk about. But I, I just think something you said earlier 
and this is something I'm trying to change the thinking on some of our brethren on, is that this work of evangelism is not just for full-time preachers. That's right. <laughs> and, you, and by just what you've told us about the part of the story of your life is, is so, uh, so true of that. And I'm afraid, Bob, in a lot of places, and you know, I don't want to get negative, but in a lot of places, that's the only one that, is, it, that they think is qualified to do the work. Yes, and, yes. And in a lot of the places, even those men are not doing it. They're getting their class to go visit the sick, which all needs to be done. But the evangelism part is falling by the wayside. And that's why so many congregations are shrinking and many are closing their doors. And that's why we're trying to get people back on fire again and say, hey, if you're a disciple of Christ, you're supposed to be involved in this work. If I understand the scriptures right, Amen. Uh, it's a job for all of us. A couple of things here. Is there a, I know there's a lot of stories. Is there one conversion story of maybe some man or woman that comes to mind? Maybe it was here. Maybe it was in Clearwater. Or maybe it was in Ethiopia that comes to mind or somebody that you talked. Well, of course, I've got several that are dear to my heart. Yes. But if I've got time, I want to share something with you. Yes, sir. It's not from me. I held a lot of meetings in Maine where the cause is very weak. Yes. And a dear friend of mine, Doug Black, preached up there. He was a good old farm boy, <laughs> but he was a down-to-earth guy, and he told me something he was doing that I'd like to share with your people. Yes. I thought it was absolutely remarkable, and it didn't come from some college professor somewhere. It came from an old boy on the sidewalk. Yes. He said, I listen, and when a member in our congregation has a kinsman who is on the deathbed, it may be they're not members of church, and they're staying in the home of a child or a niece or of somebody, who's not a Christian, he said, when I find out about that person, I go by every week and make a visit to them. He said, I realize the person on the deathbed is not going to be able to respond to me, but I'm hoping that it will make an impression on the caregiver wow. that here's this preacher who comes by to see about her to see yeah. about my aunt or my grandmother. And it opened doors and he converted a number of people just through that avenue. I think that is a brilliant way. Oh, I do too. No, and, I, yeah, I'm not, not to interrupt, but that's, uh, that's, that's fantastic. And that's kind, of, that's kind of some of the kind of stories that we're trying to find, Bob, because nobody said anything even remotely like that. And, um, uh, who knows? I don't, I don't think it I don't, up. <laughs> I wish I had. <laughs> yeah, I know it. Yeah. But, but yeah, just, uh, you know, we, we, we've said this so many times is that, you know, oftentimes when you talk to people about evangelism, they say, well, we need to be praying. And yeah, we do. And, and we pray that God would put people in our paths or give us opportunities. And he, and, and he will, and he puts them in front of us all the time. And yeah. we, just, we just turn and look away. It's like, we don't even see them. And, and, I, and this has come up several times too. Uh, well, what if I had never talked to her? What if I had never, but what if, what if Doug Black had never started doing that and going to seeing some of those people, those, those people that ended up obeying the gospel, they never would have heard the truth. 
Absolutely. And that's just fascinating to me. So, yeah, what if, what if, what's this? What if, Bob, your first indication was you were too old and it's too far to go to Ethiopia, <laughs> right? What yeah. if you had, what if you had not gone? Right. Uh, look what you would have missed and look at, I don't know. It's just, uh, it, it's kind of mind blowing when you think about that. Well, uh, I thank Lord all the time for it. I'll tell you, I do. And let me tell you, you're right. Many churches have the feeling that the preacher is the one who can best teach the people. And in large measure, that's true. But people can bring people to him. Yes. And if he will be a follower up, if he will take advantage of it, and that's what I did at Clearwater and Largo and other places like that, I didn't find the people on the side of the street. They found them. Yes. To me. And it opened the door for me to teach them. And of course, I know some good Christians that don't need the preacher to teach them. They right. can do a good job themselves and they do it. Right, right. Yeah, I often think about, because uh, you remember this, Andrew met Jesus, right? Oh, and, yeah. And what he do? He first thing he did, he went to see his brother, Simon. And right. uh, wow, you know, uh, it, and that's what we need to share this good news and get on fire doing this again. Um, uh, I've got a newspaper article that uh, Dempsey Collins had given to me. And it was a newspaper article that was in, in the Owensboro Messenger and Enquirer in 1960 on April the 30th, which was my birthday. This is just all kind of weird. The title of the article, an Associated Press news piece, that the Church of Christ was the fastest growing church in America. Yeah. That was in 1960. And it's like, what has happened? You know, there's, you know, and I don't like, I'm not, again, I'm not being negative. I'm just looking at reality and uh, what has happened. And I know you could talk about that for a long time. Give, yeah. give, me one, give me one thing you think that's happened. Well, we got embroiled in the institutional question and started fighting among ourselves. You're right. And defending our turf and didn't have time to do the other. Yes. Oh, wow. And that's yeah. what took it away. Uh, you, you're right. That growth in Clearwater was during that very time you're talking about. When the gospel was being accepted by a lot of people and brethren were thrilled to share it. And then we got into the debates and the arguments and the paper writings and all of that over the institutional problem. And we went down a different road entirely. And you know who was standing on the sidelines cheering away? Satan. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And yep. loving every bit of it. And it's like, I don't get off on the politics, but it's like some of the stuff that we're seeing going on in our country right now. And it's just, it just breaks your heart to see. But yeah, when you go back and look and it's like, how do we overcome that? And you would think that by now we would have, but it, it's all, it's all like under the surface. Uh, yeah. Conference. It's there and people have gotten discouraged or have just lost their way or their focus on, on that part of the work. You know what, Bob? We're, I, I'm going to tell Matt, we're going to do another interview. Would you agree to another interview? <laughs> well, I don't have much more to say. Oh, but, well, I would. But, all right, but anyway, that, so I know we're going to have to stop here. But I, I just, you, you said something earlier, in this, and if you repeat it, that's fine. We always end the show or the program with, if somebody's listening to this and, and Bob, you've got them excited and motivated, 
and and they want to get involved in evangelism if there would be i know there's more than one thing but if there was one thing that you would say to somebody you need to learn how to do this or this is what you need to do to get involved in evangelism what would be the one thing you would tell them open your eyes the people are there and the opportunities are there and don't be embarrassed or afraid that you'll lose a friend because you helped save him from hell. So good and so true. All right, my friend. Hey, it's great to see you again. Our time, I told you it'd go by fast, but I didn't know it'd go this fast. But uh, again, we love you guys. And, and I, I just wanted to share, you know, I was there with you guys at Florida College for five years. Yeah. You, were, you were always a mentor to me and, and always uh, encouraging me. And, you know, somebody else that I just popped into my mind, your old friend and my friend, Duty Walker. Oh, what, what a special guy. And he took me under his wing when I was there. And we did so many things together. But what a, <laughs> what a, what a special guy. And I know you grew up with him, right? Yeah, we, were, we both grew up in the same town. We went to different churches. And then we went to college together. And we were intimate friends all through life. Well, that's what I that just popped, duty just popped into my head yeah. there. So, all right. Well, but again, thank you so much and uh, keep up your work and uh, appreciate all the things that you've done. You, you mean a lot to a lot of people. So thanks, Bob. Thank you. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today.